Welcome to Shirt Factory Center Stage, a podcast recorded at the newest century-old hotspot, the Littit Shirt Factory. Join in as the relentlessly curious co-hosts Jim Hoffer and Kim Schaller shine a spotlight on the talented performers who will entertain and energize audiences from this very stage. It's quirky. It's fun. It's a behind-the-scenes listen that you won't want to miss. And now, here's Shirt Factory Center Stage. Oh my gosh. This is it. We're here. We did it. Our first podcast. Okay, where's here? Well, here is Center Stage at the Lidditz Shirt Factory, which is located Juniper Lane in the heart of the coolest small town in America. Nice. This is our first podcast, and we love podcasts. I'm Kim. And I'm Jim. You know what? What? We've never done a podcast before, but we are avid listeners to them, honestly. Today, you're going to hear from us, but as soon as we start to be able to book talent, you're going to be hearing from artists, musicians, and influencers. But until then, we got a plan. What's the plan? (laughs) What's the plan? Well, I don't know. What is the plan? I think we're going to talk first about us. And then we're going to get to know each other because we're the co-hosts. We promise we're only going to do this one episode, but we thought it only fair that you know who we are. And we're also going to be talking about, you know, why the Shirt Factory, how did it come about, and what are the plans for the Shirt Factory moving forward? Good. Now, I think the best place to start is with you, Jim. You're the visionary. You're the one that started this whole idea. You're really the classic American story, like boy grows up. Boy, he leaves his hometown, successfully conquers the big city, and then you came home. So that's like the arc of your story. So I really want to dive into that because you're actually from here, aren't you? I am. Um, nicely put, by the way, the arc. Mm-hmm. I love that. Arc of that's your really life. good. Yeah, I grew up here. I'm deeply rooted in this town. Went through elementary school, graduated at high school, sang in the children's choir at the Moravian Church. I still have childhood friends, uh, you know, people that I've known since they were six, seven, eight years old that I'm still in touch with. You know, I did go off later and had a career and lived away from home for over 30 years, but I'm back and it is a draw and I'm, I'm, I'm just really happy to be back here. And yeah, I have this dream of the shirt factory. Mm-hmm. So you grew up here, went to Temple, and then that's really when your career started. So can you just do a, a brief walk through your career. Why did you laugh when you said I brief? When I said brief, I'm sorry. Oh, did it I all started back. At, no, I'm just kidding. Look, it was incremental. I first started off in radio, actually in this area. My first job was at WLBR in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, doing weekend news. I was still actually in college when I started doing that. Eventually got a job at a small TV station in this area in Lancaster County. And from there, just, you know, kept kind of climbing the ladder of my business as a TV reporter, eventually landing in New Haven, Connecticut. And then there, after doing some kind of groundbreaking work, the got noticed by a WABC in New York, the number one station in the country. And they hired me because they were starting an investigative unit. And I went there and, you know, had a long 20-year career that was really great. Well, before we get into your investigative aspect of your career, there's a big world, wide world of news. Like you certainly have the face, you have the the presence to be an on-air anchor person. Why was anchoring not something that was of interest to you? 
You know, early on when I worked at the Fox affiliate in Connecticut, I was in my late 20s and I was the weekend anchor. Oftentimes the next step is you, from weekend anchor, you become the main anchor uh, Monday through Friday. And I thought, this is it. I'm going to be, someday I'm going to be my dream, an anchor. Boy, I quickly learned that it was, to me, boring. I mean, you're reading a teleprompter. Once in a while, you can go off script to do a little happy talk with your co-anchor. But I was bored. And I wanted to get back out in the street and talking with people and hearing their stories and telling their stories. And I quickly realized that, yeah, anchor, you're the big shot. You make big money. But I just wasn't happy doing it. So what was your first big story that took you down that path? We broke a a really big story. I never had envisioned myself as an investigative reporter, but happened to kind of stumble on a story because of a tip. Uh, where we went, there was a big naval base, a submarine, nuclear-powered submarine base in Connecticut. And, you know, someone said, boy, the security there is really lax. And my photographer and I started poking around. And I worked the second shift. So late at night, we would go there and see how, how can we get into this base? Is it easy to do? How close can we get to these nuclear-powered submarines? And we quickly found out that we could get close enough to touch them without anyone stopping us clearly not what you want to have happen. Jim, you're not allowed to be behind. No. You're trespassing at this point. Oh, it was scary as hell. I mean, it really was, but it was exciting as hell too. I mean, it was adrenaline rush, like nothing I've ever had, quite frankly. So this really, I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. And when that story broke, again, another adrenaline rush, this story made national news actually, because we had undercover video, nighttime, we parked a van an unmarked van, you know, a la Oklahoma City, basically, next to these nuclear-powered submarines on a military base and left the van there for 20 minutes. No one said a thing. And then we got in and drove off. This story made big news. U.S. Senator Joe Lieberman got involved and introduced legislation to uh, try and, and make the security more robust. I can only describe it as riding the crest of a wave. You get a big story that you're responsible for that has impact It's just a great high. At that point, I was hooked. I knew I wanted to be an investigative reporter. So not taking no for an answer could be another aspect to your success. If someone tells you, no, you're not privy to that information, does that motivate you to get it? Yeah. My producer and I, we had a saying and we'd say, you know, what are those bastards hiding from us today? And, you know, because it was, I mean, it was a constant battle. I mean, my job was to get information from people that didn't want to give it to you. Yeah, you can't give up. Uh, one door slams. You got to you gotta try and find a way. We didn't always succeed, but sometimes we really did succeed. It was a thrill. It must be akin to like finding treasure or something because you finally get that nugget of information that allows you to go forward with the story. You had many accolades for the work that you did. Not only were you, did you spend 20 years in the largest media market in the country, New York's the largest media market in the world. So you had a lot of success. You've won numerous Emmys. But I think the one that, not that I want to say it surprised me that you won, but the DuPont, like that is really impressive that you and your team were able to capture that award. What is it? Sure. The DuPont Award is Columbia University uh, gives out the Pulitzer Prize to print reporters. New York Times, great papers have won, you know, the Pulitzer Prize. The same university, Columbia University, also gives out the DuPont Award for excellence in broadcast journalism. And so it's, you know, the broadcast equivalent of uh, the Pulitzer. 
Well, congratulations on that. It's just to establish your credentials. Yeah. We just want to make sure that people know you're the real deal. This sounds really pretty stressful, honestly. Kind of like 24-7 you were working. So why did you decide, I think I know the answer, but why did you decide to get out of it? It's kind of an epiphany, quite frankly. I mean, after all of these years, I, I knew how to do the job and I could do it well. And it wasn't as stressful because of that. But, you know, I had some life experience. I had cancer. And uh, fortunately, I survived. I, I'm cancer-free now, but that was scary. But then shortly after, my brother, oldest brother, got cancer. He did not survive. He died. Four months later, he's gone. And that just really, really focused me like nothing. I thought, if he can be gone so quickly, he's only three years older than me, then I don't know how much time I have. And if I'm going to try something different, to see if I can do something, you know, before I ride off into the sunset, I better do it now. And that's when I started moving. I ended up buying this warehouse and I gradually pulled away from WABC, working first just part-time, three days a week, and then finally completely cutting the ties and moving back here full-time. Right. And we're going to get into a lot more about the shirt factory here shortly, but tell us about happier things. Tell us about your family and what lights you up? What do you like to do? Well, I, look, my favorite thing is to hang out with my two daughters, but I don't do it enough because one lives in New Hampshire, the other lives in Washington, D.C. Uh, I love them. They're both in their 20s. And you know, you have a daughter. They're the best. They're I the know. best. Yeah. And it's just great to hang out with them. And you like to run? Love to run, love to swim, love to cycle, love to be active, love to hang out with friends. Love to drink craft beer. Drink good beer, eat good food, and have great conversation. Enough about me. What about you? What do you think of me? <laughs> What do I think of you? I'm just kidding. That's a joke. I know. That's a joke. I am now going to use my investigative skills, and I'm going to find out who is the real Kim Shaw. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready. Because I'm going to dig deep. (laughs) No, you're not. Yes, I am. Okay, you can dig. Where are you from? I'm from Pittsburgh. I'm a Pittsburgh gal. What does that mean? Do you root for the Steelers? I do. I love the Steelers. Mm. Hey. Help me out here. Where'd you go to college? I went to Penn State. Ah, okay. Now you're... So I'm better. It's better. Yeah. But living in this area with Ravens fans and Eagles fans, but there's plenty of Steeler fans, so we're in good shape there. Yeah. I grew up in Pittsburgh, went to Penn State. And you graduate with what degree? Advertising. I had a degree. Actually, it was a liberal arts degree from Penn State with a focus in advertising. So you're a communicator. I'm a marketer. So beautiful. Great combination. So you end up, and this is incredible, we'll jump ahead here, but you eventually end up in a senior position, executive vice president, chief marketing officer of Hershey Entertainment and Resorts. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big job. And it only took job. me 31 years to, to take that journey. Doesn't matter how long. I know, but 31 years with the same company. Well, what was that job? Our job was to get 6 million people to come to the sweetest place on earth. So we were to drive revenues, create brand, um, build awareness. So that's what our job was. And, and you were we the head it. of this team. The head of the marketing team. How big yes. was, is the marketing I think there team? Were probably at some point, like 60 of us. And that's what we did. And it was honestly, it was the greatest job in the region. I always looked at my job and thought, I have by far the best marketing job. Roller coasters, spas, sports, entertainment, travel, luxury hotels. It was a great job. But you're also being a little modest because this was a historic position that you held. You were the first woman to hold this senior level position at Hershey Entertainment and Resorts. I was. And I take a lot of pride in that. I was the first woman. Did you ever feel the weight of that? Oh, my gosh. Every day. 
Absolutely. I mean, I think just in this Me Too environment that we're in right now, I can honestly tell you, I never, ever, ever felt the the overt discrimination that people talk about. In fact, you I didn't. Had, I didn't. But I, I have to tell you, I had some men that were truly my champions, and I would have never gotten where I got without their support. But, oh my gosh, there was tons of bias. There were so many times where I felt myself on the outside looking in. The approach, the way men do things is very different than the way I would do it. But just over time, you had to figure that out. When you were at, you know, the big meeting, sitting around the conference table with other senior leaders at Hershey, were you the only woman? I found myself to be the only woman in a lot of settings. Yeah, absolutely. But that was just part of it. Did you ever say, I don't think I belong here? No. Well, maybe early on. I I think there's that, actually, a colleague of mine had coined that as the imposter syndrome. You get to a certain point in your career and you get that job that you always thought you wanted. And the first day you go, what the hell am I doing here? I don't know what I'm doing. And he said to me, Kim, you just, you know more than you think you know. And just rely on your gut and rely on what you know and you're going to be fine. And I swear that advice was great. I had the imposter syndrome a lot. Well, you thrived there. I mean, you were there for 30 years. Um, How do you think you helped other women? Or do you think you helped other women? I think so. That was one of my main focal points. We live in central Pennsylvania. It is a very male-dominated marketplace, especially in positions of leadership. So I did. That saying of Madeleine Albright, where she said, uh, there's a special place in hell for women that don't help other women. And I took that very seriously. So beginning a women in leadership group, a women leading women group, I mentored many women along the way. But you know what? I always would stand up in front of a group and say, make no mistake, I love men. I truly do. But I really believe that women needed help and how to survive and thrive in the environments that we find ourselves in. You, at midpoint career, you actually end up going to NASA. I left. I did. What position did you hold I got a call. I got a call one day sitting at my desk in Hershey about an opportunity at Space Center Houston which was a project that was designed by the Disney Imagineers partnering with Johnson Space Center. And it was a visitor center all about manned spaceflight. No limits, no boundaries. I got so caught up in the wonder of it all. So my family, we moved to Houston and lived there for three years. And it was truly an amazing experience. So you're hanging out with astronauts. I was. I was I'm, je- out no, I'm with really astronauts. jealous. Are you serious? <laughs> well, there were points because when I was there, it was the 25th anniversary of the lunar landing. The next year, it was the um, movie Apollo 13 came out. So I got to actually see that movie with seven of the 12 men that have walked on the moon. Tell me about that. I mean, do you feel that there's a difference among these astronauts that have walked on the moon? They just seem like incredibly courageous people. I can't imagine doing this. I mean, was there anything that struck you that was in common with astronauts? Well, I think there's been a lot of study on the profile of the typical astronaut. I mean, they are extremely smart. They are very comfortable with risk. They're physically fit, I mean, to an an incredible level. They're just really special human beings because they've got that side of their brain. But then they're also, their hobbies were unique. I spent some time with one astronaut who was a vintage baker and another one that created hybrid roses. They're into literature and poetry. So they're truly Renaissance men. And it was fascinating spending time with them. Here I am with a BA from Penn State, spending time with people that, are fighter pilots and test pilots. I mean, people that have pushed the limits. And for me to get to know them was really one of my life's best experiences. So at some point, you decide to retire. Why? 
Well, I was at Hershey for 10 years, then I left, went to Space Center Houston for three, and then my old boss called me back and said, would you ever think of coming back? And I did. I came back to Hershey, and I was there for another 20 years. And and anyone out there that's listening that's had a career in marketing knows that the pendulum went from marketing being all about brand building and storytelling to it being all about business intelligence, data, and analytics. And that just wasn't in my wheelhouse. You're saying that's where it's at That's now. where it's at now. Now, my theory is that that pendulum's going to settle in the middle, but it hasn't yet. And my brain just didn't work that way. And it got to a point where I would go into work and just feel like I wasn't contributing to the point that I needed to contribute in that role. So I had always wanted to retire at 55, and I ended up leaving at 57. And I've just been doing consulting since then. And moving here to Lidditz, just things couldn't be better at this point. And that brings me to sort of this point, how you and I met. Yeah. Because a year ago, I didn't know who you were. You didn't know who I was. No. No, we didn't know each other at all. And that's what's so funny about it. But here's for everybody. We're actually neighbors. Jim and I live in the same building. I'm on the first floor. He's on the third floor. And on one of the first times that we met, this is how geeky we are. Do you remember mm-hmm. this? Oh, I we remember. Sat up and we had our phones and we started talking about the podcast that we listened to. So the two of us were going through our favorite podcasts. And so right from the start, we knew we had a lot in common. Then we discovered we loved Howard Stern and David Bowie and CBS Sunday Morning. We both have daughters named Carly. We both love cereal. <laughs> What's your favorite? I think Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries. And That's I, it? I know that you said that you That's loved my favorite. that too. So what better qualifications for two people to host a podcast than those? So it was just really meant to be. It's now time that we really get to the wrap-up about what is the Shirt Factory. So you told us where you were, that you came back here to Lidditz. So you get back here. So why did you buy this building? Gee, I'm starting to wonder that myself now. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's funny because, you know, as a child, I remember this building. It was um, like almost like a consignment shop. Well, not like. That's what it was. And it was filled Three floors, you know, stuffed with all kinds of bric-a-brac and clothing and furniture. And I just remember coming in here as a child uh, and thinking this was like walking into my, my grandmother's attic. So I was sort of fascinated by that and always remembered that. So then when I came back here after going to New York, I'd come back here to visit family and friends. And I'd always go on a run and run around the uh, Lidditz. Um, and I would run by this building. And at the time, it was empty. But I always just, I don't know, I just, something about it drew me to it. I just love the fact that here's this old historic, what once was a shirt factory in the center of town. I mean, it's it's a block from the square. I just thought it was really, really cool. And you bought it. I did buy it. Well, did you buy it knowing what you wanted to do with it? I actually did have a vision. You know, I usually don't have visions, to be honest with you. But I did. I wanted it to be something that evolved. I love beer. I love craft beer. And I know that some of my best times are hanging out with friends and drinking really good beer and having some nice food and just having great conversation with them. The other real passion that I have and that I do a lot with friends and our memorable moments, listening to live music, going to live music events. And I thought, why not combine it all in this building and bring this to the town that I really, really love. And that's what I hope I can do here is build through food and drink and friends and conversation. Right. Build a community that people here come together, all genders, all you know, ages, all demographics. And that's the dream. 
And I think another thing that I'm really attracted to about what you're thinking about here is having artists, local artists, be able to come here and show their art. And like that's a, that's a unique aspect of it, too. I hope so. I hope we have artists and photographers and entertainers and people mm-hmm. from theater. And even, God, wouldn't it be great to have an, an astronaut come oh, here yeah. <laughs> and talk about their experience? <laughs> That's really why I asked you to be co-host. Oh, is that because of your astronaut connection. connections? Yeah, connection <laughs> to the astronauts. I think the question everybody is wondering. Well, first of all, when you guys see this place, it is so beautiful. It is just so beautiful. You're going to just love it. But aside from that, so why did you call it the Shirt Factory? Like, other than it being a place, an old building where shirts were once made. Like, why the Shirt Factory? Why'd you stick with that name? For like a year, I would run names by my friends. I would say, you know, it's on Juniper Lane. I would say, how about Juniper Lane? Mm-hmm. Uh, live at Juniper Lane. I, you know, I, I must have come up with 20 different names. And none of them really, they just didn't stick. Right. At least not in my mind. And then I just kept going back to, well, it was a Shirt Factory. Right. Let's pay homage to its history. Call it the shirt factory. And I don't know. That just seems to stick at the risk of people, you know, coming here and saying, now, where do I buy some shirts? No. (laughs) I get some of that. Well, they can buy t-shirts eventually. (laughs) Eventually they can. So how has COVID just wreaked havoc on your big plans and vision? Yeah, look, I'm a little reluctant to sort of whine about how COVID impacted me because it's impacted everyone on earth, which is amazing. and, And some far, far worse than me. It did really delay the opening. It, it, for some point, for about two, three months, construction had come to a complete halt. It was hard for me. I struggled with it because I'm not a patient person and I want things to happen now. We were getting really, really close before COVID struck to ha- being completed. So I was really excited about getting this thing open. So it has delayed it. I've learned to be patient. And I think now that um, we're going to be really, really ready uh, in the early stages of, of our opening. Nice. Well, it's already started. I mean, it you've has. got collusion downstairs on the first floor. Tell us about that. They've opened. Yeah, I mean, finally. Yes, yes, yes. And it's it's really great. I mean, I have to tell you, I feel very, very confident in the product that Collusion is putting out. The food menu is fantastic. And I know three, four years ago, I went to Collusion in York and I tasted their beer and I right away said, this is it. This is the brewer I want to bring to Lidditz and to the shirt factory. It was a process. They've worked hard. I've worked hard. And they are finally here. 16 different kinds of beers. Is there spirits and wine too? There is. We're partnering actually with a group here in Lidditz, the Stolen Wolf. So there is oh, spirits and wine. Nice. And, they have the um, best old fashioned. Yeah, they do. they do. They do. But the beer here is, I think, second to none. I mean, I think they can they can compete with the best in the country. Yeah. Hey, you know what would be a good idea? What? And you're going to go, no shit, Kim. It's, I think you need to have the master brewer here as a podcast. Well, we are. That's, I know. Uh, that's in one of, the upcoming, yes. one of the upcoming uh, episodes. We'll be interviewing and speaking all things beer with the collusion master brewer, Jared Barnes. And I can't wait to bring him on and ask him questions. Uh, he is the real deal. He has studied in Germany. He has studied at uh, the Seibel Institute in Chicago. He knows what he's doing. And who else are you going to have as a guest? Well, the next episode, we're actually going to bring in architect engineer who helped bring this building back to life, uh, Hunter Johnson. And he is the founder of the Tono Group, headquartered in Lancaster. He's going to talk about you know, how you can actually get to the soul of a building. 
and he knows all about repurposing uh, old buildings and old structures. You know, without Tono and the group, uh, the Tono group, they were, it was fun working with them. They always treated me with respect, despite the fact I had no idea what I was doing. I've never done something like this before, but I had a really good time working with them. They did just a tremendous job. And we're going to talk to him not only about the challenges of doing the shirt factory and refurbishing this building, but about some of their other projects that are really getting a lot of notice regionally and in the Northeast. This is great. So, Jim, guess what? What? We're done. We did it. We did our first one. First one. It was painless. It was fun. It's interesting. And just imagine how good it will be when we have real guests on. When you get better. When I get better. (laughs) True. We'll both get better. We will definitely both get better. It was fun. It It was great. It was fun. So until next time, everybody, we're here live, center stage. Say goodbye, Kim. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye, everyone. And while you're thinking about it, go to where you get your podcasts and subscribe and give us a review. Visit our website, LittitzShirtFactory.com. Join our mailing list and you will get updates, event info, and lots of cool stuff. Follow us on our social media channels, Instagram and Facebook at LittitzShirtFactory. And don't forget, come have a beer and a bite to eat here at Collusion. 5 Juniper Lane, Littitz Shirt Factory, seven days a week.